God, that yes, truth Lord. would continue to go forth, Father, that you would protect mm, and provide for this home, Father, and everyone in it. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, and I, uh, Father, I thank you that the enemy would not ever get a foothold, Father, that your name would be lifted high forever and always, and you would add to our numbers to those who are being saved, God, and I thank you for the opportunity that we have, God, to gather together this morning, Father, and for the community that we have here, God, and we know that that is a gift from you, and we would never take it for granted, Father. So I pray that as your word goes forth, that it would fall on good soil, that ears would not be deaf, Father, and hearts would be open in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Father, we thank you for that truth, Lord, that you are God and God alone. Father, there's none like you. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You are the Holy One of Israel. You are Creator and Redeemer, Deliverer. In you, we have salvation through Christ. We thank you, Father, that you are pleased to reveal yourself to us through your Son, Jesus. God, that you have not abandoned us, but God, that is your desire that none shall perish. I pray today, God, as we gather and we open up your word, Lord Jesus, that we would find comfort, that we would be encouraged, Father, to keep our eyes set and fixed upon you, Jesus. God, that we would put our hands to the plow and not look back. God, that we would, Father, know, God, that you are for us and not against us. And we can comfort, yet though we are living in chaotic times. Pray, God, that our hearts would be of good soil, Father, that we would be attentive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And, Father, if there's areas in our lives, Father, that, Lord... The Holy Spirit's convicting and prompting us and drawing us to repentance, Father, that we would not resist, Father, but that we would humble ourselves, Lord, that it's your loving kindness that draws us to repentance. Help us not to, Father, get caught up, Lord, in the cares of this life, but help us, O God, to remain steadfast and to be about our Father's business. We thank you, God, yet for another day that we can gather. We pray, O oh God, for our brothers and sisters throughout the earth, God, that are scattered today due to persecution. Father, that they would be strengthened and encouraged, Lord, and that your hand will be upon them, Father, and that you would bless them indeed, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Community, two definitions. Again, I'm holding up to us. Throughout this year, the first one, a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. The second one, a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. I want to go to Galatians real quick. Let's turn to the book of Galatians. As we know, and as I've shared, and as Scripture reminds us, the church is under assault. We are behind enemy lines. And it is vital that as believers, again, we understand first our position in Christ. Christ is victorious. We're not to live defeated lives. We're not to succumb to the, the cares of this world or the leadings of the enemy or even our flesh, but that we are to abide in Christ, that apart from Him we can do nothing. And as I was praying through last night and of our time together, and just all the different things that are happening within, if you would, quote-unquote, the, the church community, 
And I was thinking about all the different denominations that are out there. I was thinking of all the huge ministries that have impacted the earth with the gospel. And yet every time you either turn on your television or you get on social media, you start scrolling, you see reports after report after report after report of just chaos in the community of believers. And how sad. And I've told you all over the past few weeks that major denominations, major ministries, ministers that have impacted the earth with truth are falling away. They're crumbling. And so what is the church community to do? We're to pray. This shouldn't take us by surprise. We understand that in the last days, and as the days continue until his return, there's going to be a great fall, a fall away. An apostasy is going to take place. I told you last week, what we've done over the years is we really haven't created disciples, we've created apostates. People who will eventually turn from truth to go their own way. They will be led astray by doctrines of demons because they didn't hold to truth. And I want you to look what Paul says to the church in Galatia. This isn't nothing new. We've opened up this book before. We've seen the scriptures I'm going to read before. Again, it's nothing new. But listen to what Paul says to this church. Again, he's not writing to the lost. He's writing to the church, to the professing and confessing believers and the church of Galatia. As it was written for them, it is written for us. He says in chapter 1, verse 6, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. And listen to this next line. (laughs) You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news. But it is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again that what that I say again what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcome, let that person be cursed. Obviously, I'm not trying to win approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be I'm sorry, I would not be Christ's servant. He lays out this opening in his letter. Letting them know, I am shocked that you're turning away so soon from God. From God, who called you to himself 
through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be good news, but it is the good news, but it is not the good news at all. You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. You're being fooled by those who deliberately are twisting the truth of Christ. Listen, I can't say it enough, you all. If you're being presented with the gospel that is giving you the right to self, or all you're hearing is great motivational speeches by great motivational speakers, if there's no conviction, if there's no depth of Scripture, if Jesus is not being uplifted, <laughs> like you're going to get entangled with a false gospel that pretends to be the gospel, and you're going to be following a Jesus with a little j. That isn't the Jesus at all. Like, in Christ, we are new creations. We are born again. We have a new identity. We're, we're growing and we're maturing in the newness of life now. We're not back here any longer. We're not striving to live out of our flesh, out of our desires, out of our wants, out of our insecurities, out of our weird warped realities that aren't really even true, but we believe it to be true. We just live lives based on lies. It's not how we're to be living now. You were born again. The mark of a believer, especially in the, in the church, when the church was birthed, and the purpose of it was a transformed life. Not a perfect life, not a sinless life, but a transformed life. A life that is now living, marked by Christ, the resurrected King of kings and Lord of lords. It is His word. We live not for ourselves any longer, but we live under His authority, under His lordship. That's why when the Bible tells you to take every thought captive, and, and bring it into underneath his authority, his rule, his reign, that you're to consider yourself dead, but alive in Christ. It is no longer I who am living, but it's Christ living in and through me. See, we're not just coming to church to, to better ourselves, to make it about us. No, it's all about him. We gather for him. We worship him. We receive the word for him so that the word can then transform our lives for him. It is all for him, for his glory. We are to be advancing his kingdom on this earth. We're not to be advancing our rule and our reign on this earth. But we're to be his spokespeople. We're to be bearers of his image. Because we've considered the costs and we understand that this is a spiritual life. It's not a temporal life. There's nothing on this temporal earth that's going to satisfy us. 
But how does the church or Christians get entangled with that which is ungodly? How, how do they get enslaved to the false gospel? How can they turn so easily from God? Because they're still living for themselves. They're still living for themselves. Me, myself, and I. But like I've always told you, dead men, dead women have no rights. Dead men and dead women have no rights. What are you claiming is yours today? <laughs> Let it go. Listen, Jesus is returning. And we're to be about our Father's business. We're to be seeking Him individually and then corporately. There's a way in which the church community and believers ought to be living on the earth. And when we see such a great falling away, when we see the world rejoicing at it, when we see uh, the media exemplifying the fall of denominations, of ministers, of, of ministries, you know, they categorize all of us in that. <clears throat> and we can't be overwhelmed, we can't be shocked, we can't be remain in disbelief. We just realize what's going on. It's an all-out assault. The enemy is working overtime. His days are numbered. The level of deception, the level of perversion, the level of strife, you name it, it's rising up like we've never seen it before. And as we keep hearing over and over, it's just going to keep getting darker out there. That's why it's vital. That's why it is vital that true community is coming forth within the churches throughout this earth. People that are coming together collectively truly to seek and to honor God, to live for Him, to know Him, to abide in Him, to encourage, to edify, and to build each other up. If there's ever a time on the face of the earth that the church needs to know her identity, it is now. And in the days to come. Because persecution is just going to intensify. That which once we had confidence in is going to be stripped from us. The only one that you should have confidence in is Jesus. <laughs> not in man, not in a ministry, not in a denomination, but in Jesus. He's the author, he's the finisher of what he's begun in you. If you are in Christ, if you have been born again of this new nature, that you are clinging to Christ, that you're learning of Christ, and that you're serving as Christ served. I want to give you a little bit of a commentary that I've been reading upon and studying upon um, about community. And it's nothing that you can't find in Scripture. All it is is Scripture. But listen to this. When a person trusts in Jesus for salvation, 
he or she becomes part of the universal body of Christ. Smaller groups of believers come together in local churches to worship God, to grow in their understanding of God's Word, and to live out their lives in Christ in community. Acts 2, verse 42 through 47 reveals that the original Christian community was known primarily for its devotion to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to prayer, and to loving one another. Jesus himself had promoted this sense of community. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. A Christian community is marked by the way people treat each other. At the local church, I'm sorry, and the local church should strive to model Christ-like attitudes. The Bible instructs believers on how a Christian community can love one another. And here we go. Believers are called to encourage one another, spur one another to love and good works, serve one another, instruct one another, honor one another, to be patient with another and forgive one another, to bear one another's burdens and to speak the truth to one another. The local church is the place where the Christian community can put these callings into practice. So let's hear that again because it's nothing new. We've we've heard this before. So when we come together... (laughs) Believers are called to encourage one another, to spur one another to love and good works, to serve one another, to instruct one another, to honor one another, to be patient with one another, and forgive one another, to bear one another's burdens, and to speak the truth to one another. The local church is the place where the Christian community can put these callings into practice. Simply put, the Christian community is composed of those who love Jesus and fellowship with each other. When the world sees the church in action, they should see the true love of Jesus and perhaps find themselves attracted to Christ too. This is the calling of the church. To live out this new life among each other So that those on the outside see something different. And they are attracted to it, but ultimately to Christ. As we've talked about over the past month or so, we know that we're all born with the desire to belong. To belong. That's why what we're seeking out in our lives. We just want to belong. And apart from Christ, we will find a community that we feel we belong to, that we connect with. They accept me. They love me. They have my back. They understand me. I'm like them. They're like me. And we're attracted to that. But the reality is, is none of that can sustain us and may carry us through this temporal life. But I keep encouraging us, as the Bible points out to us, that we were not created just for the temporalness of life. 
If that's all we were created for, then so be it. Live a temporal life. Yoke yourself to the temporalness of these other communities. But the reality is we were created for eternity. And the only place that you're going to find wholeness, true acceptance, true purpose, a true identity is among a Christian community. Because it's a group of people who recognize that they are sinners, that they they were in complete rebellion to God, but God so loved them that yet though they were in complete rebellion to Him, He sent forth His Son, Jesus, to reconcile them back to Him. And so it's a group of people who have denied themselves, who have picked up their cross, and they're following Jesus. They're just not comfortable in church. They're just not a suspicious group of people, or a superstitious group of people, I should say. They're just not a religious people. They just don't go and do and just go and do and just go and do and just go and do and have no zeal for God. No, but they're true believers. They recognize. Greater is he that is in them than he that is in this world. They're long-suffering. The fill love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and long suffering. They have the fruit of the Spirit. They're growing, they're maturing, they're serving, they're forgiving, they're apologizing, they're humbling themselves. They know that they are in a great battle with that which is outside of the community. But they don't battle like the way the world does. Because they recognize that they're, the, what they're warring against and whom they're warring against is not flesh and blood, but with the principalities and the rulers in the air and the darkness. Because it's a spiritual life now. They're a living out of, on a different plane. And they are ruled by the creator of heaven and earth. They know that the unlimited richness and vastness of all supplies needed are at their disposal. Because the Word of God says that God has given them everything they need to live a godly life. And so they get up each day with purpose. Even when they're faced with challenges. Even when when the persecution is intense even when life seems to be in in complete utter turmoil, there is a peace that they have. There is one that they cling to. Oh, this is the church, you all. This is the community of believers. And they protect what God has given them. And they go about living in a world that hates them. Because the world hates their God. They're at war with the throne that their God sits upon. But yet they go forth and they serve. That's why I've always told you, Christians, live your life in a way that honors God. Be the best workers. 
Get there before your shift. Stay there after your shift. Do what's needed to complete the task. Stop murmuring. Stop complaining. Stop fault finding. Stop being so negative. Stop lying. Stop living in a reality that's not true. Confess your sins first to God and then to each other. Live in a way that you're humbling yourself. The devil's beating the majority of Christians down because they're striving so hard to resist him that they've missed the first step and first humbling themselves before God. We are victorious because Christ is victorious. And as we've heard before, we're not praying from a place of defeat. No, we're praying from a place of victory. We have all that we need. And it's time to grow. It's time to mature. It's time to realize truly who we are as a community of believers. That we're standing. And we're standing there for then. Dressed in the armor of God. Living spiritual lives. Let the world mock it. Let so-called people who say they're Christians mock it. But when you know that you know that you know, their mocking doesn't even affect you. So you're striving each and every day to honor Christ because He's holy, holy, holy. Christian community, as I've shared with you from the beginning of this year, Oh, how I pray that we're starting to treasure it, that we value it, that we understand what we've been engrafted into. We were once foreigners. We were once alienated. But he's drawn us in and he's engrafted us into his family. We are the body of Christ. He is the head. We're to, we're to function. We're to move and we're to be about our Father's business collectively, utilizing the gifts that He's distributed among us to advance His kingdom by His power for His glory. Reckoning yourself dead but alive. Amen. It's a whole new way of thinking, y'all. It doesn't make sense to the natural. I keep saying that. It doesn't. When you really listen to what you're saying and whom you saying you are believing in, in the natural mind, it makes no sense. But when your eyes have been opened, when you've been given a new heart, when you realize, oh, wait a minute, it all is making sense now. Don't turn from it. Don't go following another gospel. Cling. Cling to the truth. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. God's purpose. God's plan. That he would have a people that he will call his own. And in return, they will call him their God. They would seek him, knowing that they would find him if they seek him with their whole heart. 
the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your strength. See, it's just not about, quote unquote, going to church. It's just not about just, okay, today, okay, you know, just this weird thing that people do with Christianity. It just, it's the most craziest thing. Because in a majority of other communities out there, they know what it means to be all in. <laughs> all in. What they identify with, that's who they are. And that's what they spend the majority of their time on, thinking on. <laughs> and they live it. And you, they dare you to say anything about them. It is who they are. And it's about time that the Christian community understands who she is, who she belongs to, and who's returning for her. And that each and every single day we're preparing for his return. Do not be caught like those other virgins who weren't ready. They were with the other virgins. They saw the other virgins prepare. But at the time that the groom returns, they weren't ready. They had to run off to gather supplies. And when they returned, banging on the door. I don't know you. Who are you? So you can sit among the Christian community all you want. But if you are not in Christ, he doesn't know you. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christ follower? Have you been born again of a new nature? Are you empowered by the Holy Ghost to live this life upright among a wicked and perverse generation who desperately needs to see people living this out? Living this out. Because again, there's an all-out assault on Christian communities throughout the earth. Things are crumbling. Again, predominant denominations, predominant ministries that have impacted the earth, like the earth, not just their little areas, which is nice, but the earth. Ministers who have had incredible platforms. They're crumbling all around us. And our hope isn't in them, so we're not crumbling along with them. And pray for your brothers and sisters who have been part of them. Because a lot of them are dumbfounded. All of a sudden, they're shaken to their core. Because they put their hope in a ministry. They put their hope in a minister. They put their hope in a denomination. Weren't we doing good? And now all of a sudden, all of this is coming out and it's being exposed and they're crumbling? Or all of a sudden, what, they're taught, what they taught once, they're not teaching anymore? I mean, there is a lot of hurt and there's a lot of wounds and there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of confusion right now in the church community. But oh, Christian, would you just stand? 
and be ready to love on people who have been hurt and wounded that are confused by this vast falling away and crumbling of institutions. Because all of it, they all have to crumble. They all have to be exposed. You know, I love it when the Word of God says to expose the fruitless deeds of darkness. Because darkness can never overtake light. And so as Christians, we just better realize, wait a minute. (laughs) The earth is shaking like it's never been shook before. (laughs) And it's going to continue, the Bible says. And Jesus, whenever whenever he is describing these times, he says, this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. And so that's why I, I, I can't say it enough. Over and over and over are your roots growing down deep? Are you ready for the days that are here and the days that are coming? All out war is been launched against truth. Against truth. Because ultimately it's coming for Christianity. Because you just, and I said this on Wednesday or Friday night, you just don't have to believe in Christianity. Just just uphold truth. Truth. Just stand up and have a backbone or or stand up for someone's rights or, you know, just stand up for truth and watch yourself be canceled. Watch yourself just be attacked. Watch yourself to, to what once was accepted but now is twisted. I mean, it's the most craziest thing. But that's how the enemy's working. To ultimately get to truth. Everything that we're seeing and everything that's going on is setting itself up. Finally. (laughs) For that platform of the Antichrist to show up. And we just want to play church. We just want to, we just want Jesus on our terms. We just want him, you know, to do for us, to make things better, to make our lives this or that. There's a greater purpose for you. And I can't say it enough, you all. You were purposed for today. You were purposed for this generation. You choose life or death. It is set before you each and every single day. And throughout the day, and the choices and decisions that you're making, are they based on life? Are they based on death? Well, how do I know? Are they based on Jesus or yourself? You know, that famous question that years ago, little bracelets were made. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? How is this honoring Jesus? If I make this decision, is it honoring my king? If I put my hand to this, is it honoring my king? If I put my eyes upon it, is it honoring my king? If, if I allow my feet to go towards it, is it honoring my king? And if it isn't, then oh God. Before I say it, is it honoring my king? Is he your standard? Have you been born again? 
Or is your decisions being based out of your fears, out of your insecurities, out of your woundings, out of your desires, out of your wants and your needs and your stresses and all this other stuff that bombards us? Oh, people, we got to wake up. We got to wake up. We got to be Christians. We got to be Christians. The world's not going to understand it. But that's okay. We're not of the world, but we're in it. And he is protecting us by his name. But he's calling us forth to declare the good news. You're called to this generation to go forth and declare to the captives that there's freedom. There's freedom. Point them towards home. This is who we are. This is how we should be encouraged. The Heidelberg Catechism, part two. So we've read part one where where we talked about, well, before part one, we talked about the comfort that we can find in life and death. In order to understand that comfort that we have, we have to understand the misery that we're in. So we spend a few days or weeks Talking about the days on misery. Well, we transition out of misery and into deliverance. Praise be to God, we're not stuck in misery. And if you are, it's because you've chosen to remain stuck. But there has been a great deliverance. So Lord's Day 5, part 2, first day Discussing deliverance. The question. According to God's righteous judgment, we deserve punishment both now and in eternity. How then can we escape this punishment and return to God's favor? And the answer to that question, God requires that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, the claims of this justice must be paid in full, either by ourselves or by another. Question 13. Can we make this payment ourselves? Answer, certainly not. Actually, we increase our debt every day. And I was, I'm I'm reading through this book of prayers and uh, the Valley of Vision. I've encouraged you, if you have Facebook, some of you I've talked to about it. If you don't have that book, you should get it this year and you should sit down with it and read these prayers from the Puritans. They are beautiful, man. (laughs) And they're so enriching and so encouraging. And there was a portion, and I, and I posted a prayer today, a little part of it. And there was a line in it today that made me think of this, this question, and it made me give thought to, man, that's so good. That's so true. Because basically it says that all we can do is work towards our, basically, destruction. But only through Christ can we be restored. Puritan who wrote that prayer prayed it better. But it's basically the gist of it. 
is that everything that we do or can do only in and of ourselves leads to our destruction. Every choice, every thought, everything. Because it's based out of sin. And as we know, nothing good comes from sin. And that moment, it may feel right. It may, oh yeah, this is it, this feels good, this is me, this is now. (laughs) But it's only leading you to destruction. And it's only through Christ, through, through accepting Christ and receiving this free gift of salvation, that you are born again of a new nature, that it's only through Christ that you are made whole. At peace with God. Romans 5.1 Now therefore you are at peace with God through Christ Jesus. I mean, that's the beauty of it, you all. Like before Christ, you are at war with God. Have you, have you understood that? Before Christ, you are an enemy of God. You are at war with And you want to take his throne. And you turn to to the, the very things that he created. You turn to the created to satisfy your needs. And you turn from the creator. And you think by what you can do, somehow you're outsmarting the creator. And in reality, yeah, no. His wrath is being stored up for you. (laughs) But yet, but yet, God loved us yet though we were in complete rebellion towards him and he sent forth his son. And you gotta, listen, if you haven't studied Jesus (laughs) and how he lived on this earth and what he came to to accomplish and what he ultimately did accomplish then man you ought to spend time this year getting to know Jesus <laughs> but again the question can we make this payment for ourselves certainly not actually we increase our debt every day question 14 can another creature any at all Paid this debt for us? And the answer, no. To begin with, God will not punish any other creature for what a human is guilty of. Furthermore, no more creature, no, I'm sorry, no mere creature can bear the weight of God's eternal wrath against sin and deliver others from it. Finally, the next question. What kind of mediator and deliverer should we look for then? And the answer, one who is true and righteous, who is a true and righteous human, yet more powerful than all creatures, that is, one who is also true God. Only God can bear his wrath to deliver his creation, you all. That's why Jesus is fully man, fully God. 
the Heidelberg Catechism, this teaching, to encourage us to be able to defend our faith, to be able to live this out and be able to answer people's questions. I've told you before, it's sad. It's sad that the, the false religions, they disciple their people and those that are following them, they know what they believe. And they're able just to rattle it off. But you go and you talk to Christians, not all of them, but unfortunately the majority of them, they don't know. And they cave quickly. Or they get irate and weird. You don't have to get irate and weird. You don't have to become angry. You don't have to retaliate. You just got to be able to boldly and confidently know your God. And know about him to be able to share with others. To be able to live it out before them. Trusting in him. Honoring him. And not backing away. Because again, we're living in incredible times and people are open to spiritual conversations. And so you need to be out there available. You need to be equipped. That's why it is vital that you are discipled. That's why Jesus tells them as he's ascending into heaven, go forth to all the nations. Preach the gospel. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey all my commands. Like discipleship is vital. And that's where you find, that's what you find in community, in the Christian community. So that again, we're putting into practice among each other how we're to be living, holding each other accountable to it, so that as we go from this place and we're out among the world, we're standing. We're not caving. We're not one way among fellowship and then a different out there. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. You're consistent. Because your God is on the throne. I mean, that we know our God, that we live for Him, that we honor Him, that ultimately we love Him with all of us, with our whole being. Let's walk through some scripture today to get to know Him. 2 Samuel chapter 22 is where we're heading. We're going to read 2 Samuel 22, verse 21. We're going to read through chapter 23, verse 20. We're getting to the end of David's life. King David, when we last read through Scripture, King David, we're in the middle of a song of praise that King David penned. King David, again, we're at the end of his life. But God is faithful to what he has purposed King David and King David's family for. Ultimately, the Messiah, Jesus, is going to come through this family. He ultimately will be the king. And his throne would never end. And this is a promise that God made to David and to Israel and ultimately to all mankind. 
God will fulfill what God has purposed from the beginning. Before the earth was formed, the cross was purposed. God is faithful. He's not man that he should lie. And so we see David at the end of his life. He is now, again, because he's a worshiper. He's penned yet another song of praise. Let's pick up in verse 21. Then, I'm sorry, the Lord rewarded me for doing right. He restored me because of my innocence. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not turned from my God to follow evil. I have followed all of his right, all of his regulations. I have never abandoned his decrees. I am blameless before God. I have kept myself from sin. And you say, wait a minute. David sinned, David did wrong, and we understand that because we're reading David's life. Again, we understand that usually if you look in history and the lives of kings, you would never really see their downfalls. But in King David's life, all of his downfalls have been exposed. All of them have been exposed yet to point to his God who has restored him, who has forgiven him, who has kept him, who has called him out and led him even through the valleys, even through the the despair, even through the failures. God has led him. And what I love about this is David's not listing all that he's done. He's listing all that God has done in and through him, through his repentance. If there's one thing we've learned about King David, is he's one that is quick to repent. He's made whole. He's healed. When the prophets come and they talk to him, they expose his sin. He's quick to fall before the Lord. And we see that yet though David has been forgiven, yet though David has been restored, yet though David, the Bible still declares about him that he's a man after God's heart, we see that there's consequences because of the actions and the choices that David made that now his family is suffering. And ultimately, Israel has suffered. But David can still pin, the Lord rewarded me for doing right. He restored me because of my innocence. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not turned from my God to follow evil. I have followed all of his regulations. I have never abandoned his decrees. I am blameless before God. I have kept myself from sin. The Lord rewarded me for doing right. He has seen my innocence. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To those with integrity, you show integrity. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the crooked, you show yourself shrewd. You rescue the humble, but your eyes watch the proud and humiliate them. O Lord, you are my lamp. The Lord lights up my darkness. In your strength, I can crush an army. With my God, I can scale any wall. God's way is perfect. All the Lord's promises prove true. 
He is a shield for all who look to him for protection. For he is God, I'm sorry, for who is God except the Lord? Who but our God is a solid rock? God is my strong fortress, and he makes my way perfect. He makes me sure-footed as a deer, enabling me to climb on mountain heights. He trains my hands for battle. He strengthens my arm to draw a bronze, a bronze bow. He gives, he has, I'm sorry, you have given me your shield of victory. Your help has made me great. You have made a wide, wide path for my feet to keep them from slipping. I chased my enemies and destroyed them. I did not stop until they were conquered. I consumed them. I struck them down so they did not get up. They fell beneath my feet. You have armed me with strength for the battle. You have subdued my enemies under my feet. You placed my foot on their necks. I have destroyed all who hated me. They looked for help, but no one came to, re- to their rescue. They even cried to the Lord, but he refused to answer. I ground them as fine as the dust of the earth. I trampled them in the gutter like dirt. You gave me victory over my accusers. You preserved me as the ruler over nations. People I don't even know now serve me. Foreign nations cringe before me. As soon as they hear of me, they submit. They all, I'm sorry, they all lose their courage and come trembling before their, their strongholds. The Lord lives. Praise to my rock. May God, the rock of my salvation, be exalted. He is the God who pays back those who harmed me. He brings down the nations under me and delivers me from my enemies. You hold me safe beyond the reach of my enemies. You save me from violent oppressors. For this, O Lord, I will praise you among the nations. I will sing praises to your name. You give great victories to your king. You show unfailing love to your anointed, to David and all his descendants forever. David's song of praise, you all. Focusing on the Lord, the God of his salvation. Not on his failures. So I'm not sure what you're focusing on today. But oh, would you turn to the Lord? Would, you, would your eyes gaze upon the one who is victorious? Would you pen a song of praise to the Lord your God? And not make it about you. Your failures. Your defeats. Your chaos. Your confusion. Your misguidedness. No, would you make it about him? And I love the fact that David's at the end of his life. And he's not mulling over all of his failures. He's focused on one thing, the Lord. His zeal and his love for the Lord and all that the Lord has done. We move on to chapter 23, David's last words. These are the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, speaks. David, the man who was raised up so high. David, the man anointed by the God of Jacob. David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord speaks through me. His words are upon my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The God, the rock of Israel said to me, the one who rules righteously, who rules in the fear of God. It's like the light of morning at sunrise. Like the morning without clouds. 
like the gleaming of sun on new grass after rains. It is not is is it not my family God has chosen? Yes, he has made an everlasting covenant with me. His agreement is arranged and guaranteed in every detail. He will ensure my safety and success, but the godless are like thorns to be thrown away, for they tear the hand that touches them. One must use iron tools to chop them down. They will be totally consumed by fire. The godless. David prophetically writing about the Messiah ultimately coming and the doom for those who are godless. The wrath of God, you all, will consume the godless. The Messiah, Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, has already come forth. He's already paid the price. He's already conquered sin and death. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And one day he will be returning to gather those who belong to him. And for eternity, for eternity, we will be with him in his kingdom. It's all for him. And the godless will be dealt with. As it was then mentioned, so it is today mentioned, and there's a day that's coming. We go on here to verse 23. These are the names of David's mightiest warriors. The first was Jeshobim, the Hamachamite, who was leader of the three, the three mightiest warriors among David's men. He once used a spear to kill 800 enemy warriors in a single battle. Next in rank among the three was Eleazar, son of Dodai, a descendant of Ahol. Once Eleazar and David stood together against the Philistines when the entire Israelite army had fled. He killed Philistines until, listen to this, his hand was too tired to lift his sword, and the Lord gave him a great victory that day. The rest of the army did not return until it was time to collect the plunder. Next in rank was Shammah, son of Agi, from Horror. One, day, one time the Philistines gathered at Lehi, Lehi and attacked the Israelites in a field full of lentils. The Israelite army fled, but Shammah held his ground in the middle of the field and beat back the Philistines, so the Lord brought about a great victory. Once during the harvest, when David was at a cave in the Dolom, the Philistine army was camped in the valley of Rephaim. The three who were among the thirty, an elite group David, among David's fighting men, went down to meet him there. David was staying in the stronghold at that time, and a Philistine detachment had occupied the town of Bethlehem. And David remarked longingly to his men, Oh, how I would love some of that good water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem. So the three broke through the Philistine, the Philistine lines, drew some water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem, and brought it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out as an offering to the Lord. 
The Lord forbid that I should drink this, he exclaimed. This water is so precious as the blood of these men who risked their lives to bring it to me. So David did not drink it. These are examples of the exploit of the three. We go on. Abishai, son of Zeruah, the brother of Joab, was the leader of the thirty. He once used his spear to kill 300 enemy warriors in a single battle. It was by such feats that he became as famous as the three. Abishai was the most famous of the thirty and was their commander, though he was not one of the three. There was also Benia, son of Jehoiada, a valiant warrior from Kabzeel. He did many um, heroic deeds which included killing two champions of Moab. Another time, on a snowy day, he chased a lion down into a pit and killed it. Once armed only with a club, he killed an imposing Egyptian warrior who was armed with a, with a spear. Benai wrenched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with it. Deeds like these made Benai as famous as the three mightiest warriors. He was more honored than the other members of the thirty, though he was not one of the three, and David made him captain of his bodyguard. Men that surrounded David. Strong men. Men of purpose. Men who were loyal. And I love... That this that they're that they're being mentioned, and we see the company that David kept. I mean, when you hear that the the rest of the army left them, and they stood fighting, when you see that in their strength, it was ultimately the Lord who was doing it through them. And so, I would just encourage you all today: Do you have people in your life that are loyal? That will battle with you and for you. People that the Lord has brought into your life to ultimately uphold you, to encourage you, to edify you, to build you up. Are you surrounded by the right people? Because again, every choice that you're making is either producing life or death. And I love the fact that these men surrounded David. They knew David's purpose, and they honored David. They weren't there to like the others that we've read about who tried to take David's throne. No, they knew. And so are we surrounding ourselves with the right people to accomplish what God has purposed? In each of our lives. Go to Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Well, the whole chapter, 1 through 47. Acts chapter 2. God is yet fulfilling his promise. Jesus says, I have to go away so that he can come, the Holy Spirit, who will be your comforter, your teacher, your guide. Again, as we've Saul, in the portion of Scripture that we just read, and the portion that we're about to read, again, God is faithful. What God has purposed, what God has planned, 
God is faithful to bring it about. So we pick up here on the day of Pentecost. All the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. They began to speak in other languages. And I don't know if you studied ahead of time or if you read through this. A lot of the commentaries as I was studying and kind of praying through this, it was remarkable. I've thought about it before, I've heard it before, but it really stood out in all my studying that God was now releasing the Holy Spirit, uniting all languages so that they can understand God's purpose and plan. Do you remember back in the Old Testament? Man was building a tower, the tower at Babel, in order to reach heaven. God looked down and said, when man puts their mind to it, whatever man puts their mind to, they will accomplish. So he confused them by all these different languages. And now we see God now, as the Holy Spirit is filling God's people, now they're speaking, I love this, as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability to speak in foreign languages so that the foreigners that are there, that they would begin to interact with, would begin to hear the gospel. They would begin to hear God's plan, God's purpose. So at that time, verse 5 There were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. And they were bewildered to hear, look at this, their own language being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. And here we are, and all of them are listed there. And they all, and, and even from the province of Asia. And then <clears throat> there were these visitors, both Jews and converts in Judaism, certain um, Cretans and Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things. Listen to this: God has done. This is what they were hearing. And I wasn't going to butcher all of their names, but this is what they were hearing. They were hearing about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd, look at this, ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. Remember what I said earlier? How the church is being mocked. You live for Jesus. You turn to Jesus. You honor Jesus with your life. You you allow the Holy Spirit as He distributes the gifts among us and within you, and you just begin to use them. Understand you're going to be ridiculed from the beginning all the way to the end. 
Remember, those who were lost, they can't understand what God is doing. Before you came to Christ, you had no understanding. Now they're standing there. People are amazed at what's taking place. Others are ridiculing them. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the, mo- um, nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you, are, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn to blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew that God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. When, with the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to the cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. King David said this about him. I see that the Lord is always with me. It will, I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder, no, I'm sorry, no wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life, and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of the highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. For David himself never ascended into heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet, so that everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be Lord and Messiah. 
Peter's words pierced the hearts, and they said to him and to uh, and to the other apostles, "Brothers, what should we do?" And Peter replied, "Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, is to you, to your children, and to those far away." All who have been called by the Lord are God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all of his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. Jesus, you all. This is whom we're serving. If you're a Christian, this is what you've been engrafted into. The boldness that Peter had, you should have in order to preach the gospel. There's nothing special about Peter that's different than you. If you believe in Christ, you've been born again, you have received the Holy Spirit, you're now testifying of Jesus. And we testify of him, yet though we weren't with him, we testify of him because we believe. And the one in whom we believe is sitting on the throne, at the right hand of the throne of God. He has defeated sin and death. God purposed, God planned to redeem people. So what must people do to be saved? Repent. It's the same. It hasn't changed. I know, quote unquote, the religious church the false church, the false gospel would like to strip that away. They don't talk about sin. They don't talk about hell. It's all motivational speaking. It's all your best life now. And they have a Jesus, but with a little J that they're following. He's not Jesus at all. No, repent. And then what? Turn to God. Repent. And turn to God. Believe upon Jesus. Only Jesus. This is the message we carry. This is the hope that we have for ourselves and the hope that we have to share with others. Are you sharing with people about Jesus? The true Jesus. Are you sharing the gospel? Are you living the gospel? I mean, these people, what must we do? They felt the weight of conviction. But the reality is not all of them repented. 3,000 of them did. And how beautiful. But everyone else that didn't heard and they turned. Oh, that you're living this out, you all. That you're excited to be engrafted in to a God. Did you hear even the prophecy from Joel, did you hear how David is connected? Did you, did you hear as we're studying and walking through Scripture, in order that you would know your God, that this isn't just some weird story, that it isn't just some weird religion, that it isn't just, you know, here today, gone tomorrow, but the reality is, there is a God who has created all things for himself. He created. And before he spoke this 
world into an existence. The cross was already purposed. He created man and then created woman so that man would not be alone. And they were in a garden. He walked with them. He communed with them. They weren't lacking anything. They had all that they need. This beautiful creation. He made them in his own image. And then the serpent came. This serpent that as you read scripture, you understand that the enemy, Lucifer, created to be the ultimate worshiper. Beautiful creation. Said to himself that he would exalt himself up above the throne of God. And he was cast out. And now we find this serpent approaching Eve. Did God really say? And she fell for it. Not only did she fell for it, she gave it to her her husband, Adam. He partook of it as well. And in an instant, and in an instant, that relationship, that covenant, that, that covering that they had with God, they no longer had. They saw themselves naked and they felt ashamed for the first time in their existence. And what did they do? They hid. They hid. Remember God stepped in. Adam, Eve, where are you? We're naked. Who told you you were naked? Then he calls them out. And what did they do in and of themselves? They tried to hide their nakedness. But it actually took, and it symbolizes, again, everything through the Old Testament points to Jesus. An animal was killed. Blood was spilt to cover them. But there's consequences. They were removed from the garden. And their seed from then from there on, will be born in this nature that is in rebellion to God. Constantly hiding, feeling shame, trying to cover themselves, living this life apart, but having a longing within to belong. And all along, God knew, I will redeem them. They will be mine. The cross is purpose. The Messiah is coming. And now we're seeing the Holy Spirit being poured out among the, among the church, fulfilling what God purposed and planned. That's why Jesus confidently was able to say, I have to go away so that he will come. God is fulfilling all that God has purposed and God has planned to have a people that he will call his own, and in return they will call him their God, that they will live for him, that they would honor him, that they would recognize the signs of the time, that they wouldn't be captivated and fall away. 
but that they would remain true to the living God. Are you remaining true to the living God? Are you sharing your faith? Are you, are you telling others about Jesus? Are you living it out before them? Listen, we're, we're, we're engrafted in God's plan. We're filled with His Holy Spirit. If you've been born again, and we're called to go forth and remain upright among the wicked generation. We know we're going to be hated. We know life is not going to go our way. We know things. But we're secured in Him. And so we know how to live. Because we're directed by Him. We're not living a life that grieves the Holy Spirit. But we're living the life that is filled with the Spirit. And as the Bible says, we are called to walk habitually in the Spirit so you're not gratifying the desires of your flesh. Finally, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. This is the church, you all. This is the community of believers. And as, again, we're talking and we're focusing, that's the word for us this year, community. And the understanding is the community of believers, the fellowship of believers, the church. Rather, it's our own church or the church at large throughout the earth. There is a way in which we're called to live because we're to be about our Father's business. We're all needed. And you're saying, well, how, how can I be needed? Well, you're needed. You're needed to, to, to function with the giftings that you have received from the Holy Spirit to accomplish not only what God has individually asked you to, to, to and, and created you to do, but what he created you to do among us, if this is your church. And so it's just not about Rob, it's just not about, you know, this person or that person, but it's about all of us contributing, knowing your gifting, sitting down with us. How, how can this gifting be utilized when we're together? Like there's a way in which we're called to live. To know your identity in Christ, to know your gifts, and then daily mature in it, daily grow in them. Because we have the world that's out there desperately needing for Christians to be Christians, especially in a day and age and in the days to come where there's going to be a great falling away from the faith. Like, oh, that we would remain true to God and true to fellowship in order to accomplish his purpose. This is beautiful. They were there sitting, waiting. And the Holy Spirit fell upon them. They received. 
And as they received, they got up with a sense of boldness that they've never had before. And they spoke and they shared. Go to Psalm 122, verse 1 through 9. It's a whole psalm. Psalm 122. God is faithful. And that's why sometimes, you know, in your Christian life, you're going to go through seasons where there's a lot of pressing. There's a lot of stuff going on. Things may not make sense, but God is faithful. Remember, the trials in which we face are there to produce something within us. They're not there to overtake us. They're not there to destroy us. They're there to produce something within us. His character. You know? So don't give up. Don't give in. Don't turn back. Don't don't question and hold your fist up at Him. You're not one who is in rebellion towards Him any longer. You're one who is submitted to Him. So Father, have your way. So many times we pray God to get us out of a situation and we ought to be praying, God, keep me in it until I learn what you need me to have. Keep maturing me in it. Keep growing me in it. The flesh doesn't like it. We understand in Galatians that that old nature, yet though it is dead, it's still in. (laughs) And it wars against the spirit. That's why you must grow. That's why you must be must mature. That's why you must remind yourself of the reality of the victory in Christ and the reality that you've nailed your old self to his cross. You've crucified it there. That the world's interest in you is no longer and your interest in the world is no longer. Do you understand that the world system and everything that's temporal that's out there, as I said earlier, is in complete rebellion to the throne of God? Be mindful of who and what you're yoking yourself to. Because if it's in rebellion to God, trust me, it'll influence you. And if you're not rooted in Christ, you're going to be swept away. You're going to be swept away. And that's not a place you want to be. You want to be rooted. You want to be grounded. You want to know that you know that you know that you know that you know that He is God. He is God and that you're looking up. You're looking up. And like I said earlier, you're telling the captives there is freedom. You're leading them home as you lead them to Christ. As you're pointing to Jesus. And your message is just as it was for all the others. Repent. Turn to God. Repent. Turn to God. Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. And now here we are standing inside your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a well-built city. It's seamless. It's seamless walls cannot be breached. All the tribes of Israel, the Lord's people, make their pilgrimage here. They come to give thanks to the name of the Lord as the law requires of Israel. Here stand the thrones where judgment is given, the thrones of the dynasty of David. Pray for the peace in Jerusalem. May all who love this city prosper. O Jerusalem, may there be peace within your walls and prosperity in your palaces. 
For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, may you have peace. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek what is best for you, O (coughs) Jerusalem. Oh, that you would be praying for the peace of Jerusalem. (laughs) Oh, that I've encouraged you to keep an eye on Israel. (laughs) A little little part of the Middle East. (laughs) But it's the spiritual ground (laughs) of all that God has planned and purposed. Keep an eye on it. Prophecies being fulfilled left and right. You should be a one who is studying prophecy. You should be growing in your in your Christian walk, in your Christian knowledge. You should understand truly what all this is about and who it's about, so that you have the assurance that he is for you and not against you, that he has engrafted you, that he has purposed you for today. You were purposed by God for God. And so oh how I pray you're living. For God. Proverbs 16, verse 9, 19 through 20. And as we read before last week, it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Proverbs 16, verse 19 through 20. Better to live humbly with the poor than to share plunder with the proud. Those who listen to instruction will prosper. Those who trust the Lord will be joyful. Listen, you all. God is good. I can't say that enough. It's us, apart from Him, that are bad. We're in complete rebellion. We desire our wants, our wills, all our ways. We're in complete rebellion towards the, the throne of God. We're just the created, shaking our fist at the creator. And yet in the midst of shaking our fist, he is pleased to reveal himself to us. He understands our condition. We don't have to keep hiding. We don't have to be shameful. We don't have to try to keep covering ourselves or pretending we're something that we're not. The reality is, do you know Jesus? Are you in Jesus? Have you been born again of a new nature? Do you, do you feel the, the war with inside? <laughs> do you feel the conviction? Are you responding to the conviction? Are you repenting? Are you trusting in him? Are you clinging tightly to him? Are you sharing him with others? Do you have a standard for yourself that you're standing upright in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation? Do you understand the prophetic times in which you were purposed for? Like your purpose to be the light in this darkened world. And you say, well, how much impact could I really have Oh, you'll never know until you're there. But you have, you are purposed. You, God has a plan and a purpose. Remember, he's prepared good works for you to do. 
He purposed you even before you ended up in your mama's womb. He numbered the hairs on your head. He numbered the days of your life. There's nothing that's taken him by surprise. Oh, but how I pray in the end, you hear well done, my good and faithful servant, and you do not hear, depart from me, you worker of sin. There is freedom, you all, in Christ. Do you truly grasp it? Do you truly understand what you've been given because of Christ? A new heart. You're not, you're not in rebellious any, anymore. And when the rebellion wants to raise up, you feel the conviction and you humble yourself. You repent. You remind yourself of who he is. You start living differently. You start talking differently. You start thinking differently. You start just going about your life differently. And as I keep telling you, you understand that in this day that we're living in, in the days to come, true Christians, Christianity in and of itself, will be pushed out as, as far as it can from the world systems. You're not going to be liked. You're not going to be welcomed. You're not going to be wanted. Family members are going to turn against you. <laughs> Governments are going to turn against you. Employers will turn against you. Friends are going to turn against you. Are you preparing for what's ahead? And it's not to scare you. It's not to frighten you. It's not to make you shake and quiver. (laughs) But it's to prepare you to be able to stand. My God, my confidence is in you. This world is not my home. I'm dead already. I'm created for eternity with you. So help me to keep an eternal mindset. Help me to keep my eyes set ahead and set above. God, this world isn't my own. Help me to love my enemies. Help me to serve. Help me, help me just to be bear witness of who you are. I think of that one story, and I believe it came from a prison in China where they they forced the Christians to come spit on the Bible, renounce Jesus. The old lady approaches it, and she begins to clean the Bible. And her life ended up being taken because of that act. She didn't fall in suit with everyone else who so easily gave up. And what about you? What about me today? We're not even in that position. But how did you stand for Christ this week? When everyone else around you was not standing for him, did you just go along with him? Did your bad attitude resonate and you, and you maintained you didn't even care? Or maybe you cared and maybe you felt the conviction and maybe you threw a little, oh, I'm sorry, God. Oh, forgive me, God. But you really don't mean it because you never went back to the people to reconcile with them that you were in error. What did you give yourself over to this sweet that you ought not to have partaken of? But yet you took part of it. Careful what we talked about. Apostates and apostasy. Your heart's being severed. Hardened. To the things that are true. The things that are right. The things that are noble. And pure. And it's not to wreak condemnation upon you or to make you feel shameful or ashamed. But the reality is, is that when you're feeling that, you ought to repent. Like, oh God, what have I done? What am I doing? 
strengthen me, forgive me. Like you have that sincere regret and remorse. God, I don't want to touch it. God, I don't want to even look at it. God, I don't even want to keep thinking this way. God, I shouldn't be so easily provoked and angered. So I'm not going to pull away from you, God. No, I'm going to draw even closer to you. Because, God, you've made a way of freedom for me and for us through Christ. So, God, I failed. And I'm sorry. It didn't take you by surprise. But, God, I know you love me. I know you've called me because I, if you didn't, I wouldn't even care that I failed. But, God, I want to be able to stand. I want faith that I'm able to stand. I want faith like that old woman whose her life cost her her life because she just didn't fall like the rest of them. She began to clean it. She didn't deny Christ, but she stood for Christ. I'm telling you, it's getting harder and harder out there. It's not a joke anymore. That's why I keep telling you, Church cannot keep being church the way it's been. The window is closing. Jesus is returning. This is the good news. Jesus is returning. So we ought to be about our Father's business. We ought to have our lamps filled. We ought to be able to to stand and stand there for then. We ought to be among community where where we're learning and we're growing. We're being held accountable. That we're not just rejecting and resisting. But that we recognize, wow, this is far greater than us. This is so far greater. Like all of a sudden, like I said, your eyes have been opened. It's all making sense. Like, oh, wow. God, you're real. And this is far beyond just living the temporalness of life. Remember, everything that's out there is meant for destruction. It's in rebellion towards God. So if you find yourself today in rebellion towards him because you have not truly either given yourself to him, received freely this gift of salvation, have been born again. Oh, how I pray that you will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved, that you would repent, that you would recognize that you are a sinner, that you would believe that Jesus is the son of God and that he rose from the dead and that you would receive this new life. And if you have ever made that confession and that belief, and yet you find yourself still entangled with sin, (laughs) would you do as the Bible said, throw it off? Because that is not to mark you any longer. Stop listening to the lies of the enemy. Stop listening to the to the flesh that's only leading you away. Stop allowing the world systems to entice you. No, would you repent <laughs> and repent and be sincere in that repentance so that your heart would not remain hardened. Oh, that we would come and we would praise the living God and worship him together. And honor him in all that we say and do. I'm going to close this with this last song. And then I'll close this in prayer.